First of all, uh, I want to recognize your presence here tonight. You could have been at another place, but I believe God has an appointment with you tonight, right here. And Nielsen Mariki, thank you for the songs. They are very appropriate to the message I believe that the Lord laid in my heart tonight. I want to greet you with the verses from Isaiah 49, verse 15 and 16. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are continually before me. This morning we all partook in the Holy Communion. These words of Isaiah said 700 years before the crucifixion of Jesus came true on the cross. His nail-pierced hands said again to us, our name, our names are engraved in the palms of his hand. Just before we pray, our text will come from the epistle of John. 1 John 3, verses 1 to 3. Only three verses. 1 John 3, verses 1 to 3. If you've got your finger there, we can pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that we are imperfect and we come to you as imperfect people. We may have faith, but Lord, we also carry doubts and apprehension in this world. Lord, we are so many times made to believe that we are not good enough to come to you, that, you have, that we have to be perfect forgetting we have a Father who loves us, who are, and that we are no longer slaves, that we are your sons and your daughters. Yes, Lord, we are allowed and taught by your Son, Jesus Christ, that we can call you our Father, who are in heaven. We live in a world of demands, and without full confidence, in you, our Father, please forgive us. Lord, you are our guide, our sustainer, and our Father who loves us. And too often we are driven by our shortcomings and fears. Yes, Lord, perfectionism is driving the world into the wrong way. It's taking many of us to the point of breakdown instead of finding our peace in the arms of our Father. Father in heaven, we come to lay our distorted identity before you. We want to be your son, sons and daughters again. Please forgive us. Forgive our sins. Yes, Lord, that fear despondency and feelings of inadequacy has held us hostage. Father, we come to you in the name of a lamb of God that was slain without one plea, only his blood shed for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I also read the heading, I think the heading of that chapter is very appropriate. It says, he declares the singular love of God towards us in making us his sons. Then verse 1, behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. You know, to bestow is 
to be blessed. It's just more than giving somebody something. That we should, that we should be his children. Beloved, we are now the sons of God and doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Just on the second, first verse, God gave us the privilege to be called children of God. It's a privilege, it's a gift. It's not something we have worked for. Verse 2, our perfection, our glory is still coming. It will never be perfected in this life. And every man that hath his hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. The theme of my message is imperfect but forgiven child of God. Imperfect but forgiven child of God. About three months ago, while I was working at my daughter's home, a young man said to me, Uncle, I have to get my life in order so that I can also start to go to church again. I thought it was a wonderful intention and a very good thought. But in my heart, a question came up. Unvoluntary. Is this how seekers or uninvolved people in the congregation look at the church or at us? They must first improve, reach a level to go to church. Is that the message that we as believers pass on to the world? Or even how we see our own relationship with God? Today I'm good, tomorrow I'm bad. Today God loves me, tomorrow God loves me not. This is so in contrast with our text. God gave us the privilege to be called children of God. So unlike the words Jesus spoke, come to me. And I will give you rest. Come to me, all who are thirsty. And then in Mark 2:17, the revolutionary revelation of Jesus that the Pharisees was not very happy with. And when Jesus heard that, he said to him, "Those who are well have no need for a physician." But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Are you perhaps today feeling where you are now? I am imperfect, not good enough to God. Two, three, four, five years ago, everything was okay, but now this has happened in my life and I just feel I'm not good enough. You see, we grow up and find ourselves in a world that's saying your best is not enough. You must do what is expected from you by this world. Be it your boss at work, family, society, and unfortunately, sometimes also in the church. We are confused about our identity in a world demanding every day more and more. The television and billboards set the norm of how we shall look and behave. And on top, Remind us constantly of all the things we don't have. And between all the voices calling 
on us, the children of God, we can become very confused. We lose our identity and forget the privilege we have to be a child of God. Instead, the performance culture we have to face at work and society, it's encroaching on our spiritual life. Yes, it has a blurring effect on our true identity as children of God. You see, there's a big difference between being a son and a daughter and being an employee. A company has a transactional relationship with me. You do good, we pay you. You do bad, you out. That's not the way God is looking at his children. Neither is that the message of a cross. Yes, in the church, in your ministry, or the office you hold in church, as an elder or a deacon, you start to act as an employee or manager rather than a son and daughter of God. To know that the father looks differently at a child. As a child, my value is intrinsic. I'm born of my father and mother, and they love me, never mind what. Today I can disappoint them. I can be naughty, but they will still love me. And that's how it's going with us. And we start to think and behave as if our value and acceptance are dependent on how well we perform in the church, in the society, at our homes. Forgetting our intrinsic childship of God. And as if it's not enough, in the church we start to manage and appraise the pastor and office bearers as a CEO and his management team. Prove yourself. Do something important. Achieve. And in return, we start to behave likewise, looking for applause and approval. Rather, God's voice that whispers to us, rest in me, my child. I love you. Despite of what is happening in your life, you are not an employee. You got it as a gift. You are a son and daughter of God. For many, Activity becomes synonymous with our identity instead of our relationship with God. It's how we convince ourselves, yes, I'm good enough, you know, I'm doing my best here in the church on one of these, I feel good. To feel better about ourselves, it spills over to our entire life. In your paid employment, you start to work harder. You start to work yourself to death. You, became, you become a prisoner of your own illusion. To think that you have to do things. And as if it's not in the hands of God our Father. That, brothers and sisters, is not how it should be 
in the church of Christ and in the lives of his children. Our text made it very clear. We have the privilege to be called sons and daughters of God. Yes, in the first reading, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then we take on these things as a characteristic and is haunting us. John Piper writes a few things that's in his inbox almost every week. Pastor, I'm anxious I don't do enough for God. Pastor, I'm a follower of Jesus and I just have a question about anxiety and becoming more like Jesus with my anxiety. I know Jesus said in this world we will, will have trouble and he has overcome the world, but it just seems like there are so many things that I need to do. Do I focus on certain things over other things or do I focus on all? The answer is obvious. We focus on Jesus Christ. Are you feeling like this today? Are you crying out the same? You have the same anxiety about the future, about your children, about your church membership, about what is happening in the world, while God says he is our sustainer and our supplier. You start to doubt your relationship with God and whether you can still talk to others about salvation and Jesus Christ if you feel that way. I agree, but hold on. Having done good or bad, experienced calamity or just plain sailing in your bubble of prosperity, you are a child of God. Childship is intrinsic. It's by birth. And in the case of us as children of God, that we have to be born again. That is how God is looking at you today. Not the way you feel. He is your father and you are his child. Psalm 27 verse 10. David says, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Now, let us look at a few lessons from the Bible that we can take to deal with this ill of perfectionism that has invaded the world and our lives and that uncertainty and sometimes feeling of inferiority that has invaded your life. I'm going to mention three things. Bear with me from the Bible. And then I'm going to make an appeal to you from the Bible. Yes, the first example is, take the life of Jesus. When he heard God's audible voice early in his ministry, the first time it's recorded to have, God has spoken to him out of heaven. Matthew 3 verses 16 and 17. And a voice said, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. Also notice what God did not say. His words in that sacred moment were neither directional, go there, do that, 
nor instructional. You must, you must. They were relational. My son. It could also be my daughter. We know very well in times when the Bible were written, women are also included in the male gender. And this was at the beginning, beginning of Jesus' ministry, his walk on earth. He hadn't preached at that stage a sermon. He has not cast out a demon, healed the blind, or raised somebody from the dead. These words were spoken over his hidden years before his public ministry. They had nothing to do with his performance. They had to do with his sonship. The relation of God to man is a relationship of fathership. The relationship of God to us, we are his children. God never said to his son, this is my employee whom I have called. With him I'm well pleased if he performs well. Even though Jesus was fully God in his humanity, like we, I think he needed to hear the blessing and the affirmation that God, the Father, is also his Father. That blessing and sonship became an anchor in the walk of Jesus during his earthly ministry. He would never play to the crowd to the validate his significance. He would never try to draw a crowd to boost his ego. The affirmation from God his Father was adequate to him and should be adequate to us. The anchor of blessedness allowed him to withstand everything, the criticism of the Pharisees, and not to be swayed by the flattery of the multitudes, and at last to bear the burden at the cross. The question to us is, is this the unconditional love we show and live as children of God? The much needed attitude we want or we need to bring fellow seekers and members who are not so active back to the church? Or have we been inf infiltrated by perfectionism, something like the Pharisees who have laid heavy burdens on people they could not carry? Only you can answer that question Number two, can we learn to tune out? You know, in a radio, especially in the old days when we only had AM, could be a lot of noise in the background. Can we learn to tune out the fickle noises, that voices in between that wants to dominate our lives? Can we listen to the voice of our Father who calls us his child? 1 John 3 verse 1 See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and then, I'm paraphrasing, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. You see, we measure people in a different way. We look at people in a different way. We look at our daily lives in a different way. There is no language of performance or achievement 
in that verse. Hier hebben blessing and voice of God in Galatians verses 6 to 7. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God. Embracing our blessedness brings incredible freedom in your life. We no longer have to live or act with a praise or criticism of others or have to hide what came over my life and upset my life. We no longer have to frantically chase after significance. It takes the pressure off and deliver us from striving always to be something God has not made us. When you embrace your blessedness, you can echo these words of David in Psalm 16, verse 5 to 8. And I'm going to read it. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen me in pleasant places. I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. When you are a child, you can trust your father in advance. He has assigned you a portion of his cup. When you are a child and you have a generous father, your response is gratitude. And you can say with David, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Because no matter where the boundary lines fall, you are not an employee. You are a daughter and a son of God. When gratitude and sonship, or can I say childship, fill your heart, it spills over to your life. Without competition, without comparison, without insecurity, we are free now to bless others. We can tell them how much they matter to God. We don't have to turn the conversation to us. We don't have to try and grab the spotlight. We can allow others to succeed without envy because our identity isn't wrapped up in achievements. We are God's children, and that is what matters and is enough. The third point, lay aside. Lay aside the burden of perfection. Perfection is a temptation we all face in our fight against sin. And the wonderful news is that God wants us to live in freedom, free from the tyrannical rule of humanly defined perfection and performance. The saying, perfect is the enemy of good and perfect is the enemy of the done, may be known to most of us. We all know the truth in these things. All of us sometimes neglect to do something, to do the work we have to do in God's kingdom because we fear. We fear we are not perfect. We fear that we will do it wrong. We confuse 
perfectionism of this world with a call of a Bible of Jesus in Matthew 5 verse 48. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This sure sounds like a demand for perfection. On the face it might be, and yet it is not. Because what Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, he made the statement actually, how impossible it is for human beings to live up to God's law and standards and what it means not to sin in anger, lust, swearing oaths and retaliation, as well as what it means to love our enemies. Listen to the words of Jesus earlier in this chapter, just to clarify his expectation from us. Matthew 5 verse 17, Do not think, I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus came to perfectly fulfill on our behalf God's demand on us for perfection. That that we cannot do. And that's why the New Testament in Hebrews 10 verse 14 can say, For by a single offering he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. See, that is the key, what Jesus meant. And the key to our own spiritual liberation from the tyranny of perfectionism. Because Jesus perfectly lived, died and rose again for us, he has already perfected our perfection. Something more. Accept this truth and allow the Holy Spirit to work in you. Your own definition of good and perfect will not help you. It stays empty and worthless until you are filled by the work of the Holy Spirit. What the world calls perfectionism is not the same as a pursuit of excellence. Excellence, to strive for excellence, means to take your God-given talent and your resources and the times and the limits you have and use it to the best of your ability. But perfection is an ill. In fact, in the psychological dictionary is classified as a disorder. It's a pride or fear based on compulsion that either feels our obsessive fixation and doing something perfectly or paralyze us from doing nothing at all. Perfect people, be it in their job or in the church, they sometimes get nothing done because they are not accepting that they are children of God our Father. All of this is a harmful neglect of what God really means by good. Never let fear or failure or rejection or a human desire for acceptance rob you of your birthright as a child of God. Hear the words of this well-known song and find comfort in it. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. From my mother's womb, 
you have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again into your family. Your blood flows through my veins. And God, our Father, who is not unaware that we are still human beings and that we have remaining sin in our life that will always contaminate us, He sees us perfectly and righteous because of the work of Jesus Christ. In God's eyes, we have been perfected by being joined to Jesus in faith, which frees us from needing to earn his or anyone else approval through perfectionism. We are free to engage with our God imperfectly in our sanctifying fight against sin. To go back to the example I've mentioned at the beginning, you don't have to become good. You are welcome in the church and in the congregation, just as you are. I'm going to bring in a fourth point, because time will allow me. The Bible, nowhere, the Bible tells us about the failure of so many faith heroes. Listen to this. The Bible nowhere encouraged us towards perfectionism. It promises perfection. Now, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, For our sake he made him, that is Jesus, to be sin, who knew now no sin, so that we might overcome, that we might become the righteousness of God. And then the promise in Revelation 21 verses 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will with them as our God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Hear the word of the Lord today. We are not perfect. Understand that God uses a crooked stick to strike a straight blow. Imperfect earthen pots like me and anybody else we find in the Bible all over. Let's look at a few. Abraham, the great model. Look at his episode with Hagar. Moses, the Christ-like prophet, he lost at the disqualifying rock where he hit the rock. Aaron, the great childlike priest, high priest, has his golden calf disaster. David, the Christian-like king, has his Bathsheba affair. Peter, the great apostle and Christ confessor, trips over his clay feet, even to the extent that his fellow apostle later, Paul, had to warn him about his hypocrisy. And Acts and the epistles give us a view into the imperfect lives of the earliest Christians. God knows our perfectionistic temptations and tendencies. And he fills the Bible not unnecessary with these stories of these amazing five heroes. They transgressed 
but they never lost their faith. They continued as sinners, imperfectly, but they fight and achieve what God has called them to do. He wants us to know that perfection in behavior and motivation is completely out of our reach. In this age, we made, are made perfect by the blood of a lamb shed for us. We have nothing to bring, only to the cross to cling. Yes, dear friends, listen. You are good enough. Do you believe it? Do you believe in the Son of God? As stated in John 3 verse 16, God so loved the world that He gave His Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. We've also seen it in our previous reading. There's no distinction. And now the question. To you, my dear listener, can I ask you, can I ask you to remember this day of the 1st of October, 2023? Know that you don't have to be perfect, whether you're six years old or 90 years old. But also know, God is telling us that sin cannot enter heaven. So as children of God, we cannot go and live in his home with sin. Now I can hear you say, but preacher, haven't you just preached to us that we don't have to be perfect? Yes, I did. Perhaps after all the years, you are not sure if you are a child of God. You grew up in a good home, attended church regularly, and trying to do all the good things. But you have not accepted your childship from your father. You see, the Bible teaches us how we should become children of God. The Gospel by John, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I'm not asking you about your qualifications. I'm not asking you about your church affiliation. But are you saved? Have you bowed at the feet of Jesus Christ? Yes, I want to emphasize, you cannot be perfect and you cannot earn your salvation. God has done it by his single offering Hebrews 10, verse 14, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. John 3, verse 7, You must be born again. And that is the only qualification to be good enough for God. Nothing in this world that money can buy can be a substitute to that. And now the question is how? Oh, we can have very long explanations and books and writings and thank God for that. But hear the word of the Lord. Acts 16 verses 30 to 31. The Philippian jailer asking Paul and Silas, and I'm reading it, then he brought them out and said, you all remember they were in jails? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. What more can I say to you this afternoon than telling you the old, old story? Yes, the story of Jesus and his love. Do you know? Do you know how close salvation is today to you? 18 inches to the younger people who have not grown up with the empirical system. 47 centimeters, one and a half ruler. Bend your knee. Bow before Jesus. You are good enough for God today. Yes, by the single offering of his son on the cross, you are perfect. Do it now. Why am I saying now? 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You see, now is the only time we are sure about. Yesterday is behind you. Yes, you can take something from yesterday. You can learn lessons from yesterday. Tomorrow and one hour later is before us. We cannot tell us. Nobody can tell that we will see that next hour or day. Do today, beloved, what the Bible confirms. Be not confused. It's a simple message. It is not perfectionist or stiff people that will enter the kingdom of God. It's everyone who will accept him now. Romans 10 if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the death, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes and is justified, and with a mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Yes, I repeat, can I ask you today to adopt a few simple things to make it practical. No, accept today that you are good enough for God and accept that through the single offer on the cross that has perfected you for this step. Confess your sins at the feet of Jesus who died for you. Make that 18-inch bowing down to Christ. You can do it now. Jesus Christ was crucified publicly for you and for me. Why will we not accept him publicly, even in this building today? Pray. There is no perfect prayer except the prayer that's from your heart. Read your Bible. Everything you want to know about God and what clever theologians can teach you, you will find in the Bible. Witness. You talk about God. He promised if anyone declares publicly that he belongs to me, I will do the same for him before my Father in heaven. A last appeal. Your soul is worth more than all the treasures of this world. You don't need to be perfect. Christ Make you perfect through his offering. You are good enough for God. Amen. Can I ask 
if anybody, if you're not sure about what we have said today, do it today. You can do it right where you sit. You can go down on your knees. But do it for Jesus. Confess him today. I want to ask you, we're going to close with a beautiful hymn. While we are singing that hymn, and you have not yet done it, please do it. And if you have not done it at all, you are welcome to come and talk to me as an imperfect preacher and servant of God and, or to any one of the elders after this service. God bless you. Let us pray. Father, sometimes we feel like losers. What the world sees as representatives of God is not what we represent. And other people and even us feel we are not good enough. The work on the cross was not adequate. Not good enough. Thank you for coming to show us again today who we are, how you see us as children of the living God. Help us to come, overcome our fears, anxieties and uncertainty. Help us to live in such a way that others will notice the single offering of your son has set us free. Thank you for your word inviting us to be your child and assuring us of our childship. Ensure us that you are the rock in our lives. We can build on you, we can rely on you, and you are our mighty fortress in which we can hide until the day of the wedding feast of the Lamb. Amen.